0: Hey guys, welcome to the LT Brings the Heat podcast. We're your hosts Sean Laird and Adam Heister, where we talk about baseball and sports performance. The topics ranging from coaching, business, and player development. Our goal is to bring you a no BS approach to development in baseball and sports performance. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's rock and roll. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of LT Brings the Heat. Uh, we're your host, Sean Laird and Adam Heisler. It has been a while since we've been on. We had fall break, uh, some hurricane issues, and we kind of got an episode in between the hurricane and Adam and Mobile kind of got beat up a couple of times. But how's everything going, buddy?
1: Yeah, everything's going good. Hopefully this hurricane season is, is officially over with. I hate that you and Lauren and the, the kiddos got to experience a little bit of it when you're all down in Panama City. It's yeah. It's not a fun thing, but some people say it's the price of you pay when you live on the coast and you want to stay near the beach. So... It's got its pros and cons, just like anything else in life. What about you? How's everything going back home now? Oh,
0: it's going great. We just um, just got back and we had Halloween the very next day. And that's just, you know, with the three kids, that was an absolute blast. And then we rolled straight into lessons and everything on Sunday. We just started our, our fall speed camp that leads into winter, which leads into our winter velo program. And so it's the first day was awesome. We had a great turnout, a lot of guys and got our baseline test. We're going to do a couple more baseline tests next week um, and kind of. I just you know, train the crap out of them over the next two months and, then, and see where they lie at the end. We always are trying to work on increasing vertical, uh, broad jump, lateral jumps, 10-yard uh, sled pushes. We do 10-yard dashes. A lot of things that we like to see and obviously change the direction training. But we're going to kind of talk about today, obviously, speed and agility. Um, and the big thing with me is I would love to hear your aspect of things because you've always been a fast guy but like you said you, you you know you went from being fast to like explosive and really fast once you started really you know getting in the weight room and, and and training and kind of building on what you're doing and you're a big hill sprint guy as am i um but i really think that you know when it comes to speed and agility there's a lot of things that are done wrong and there's a lot of things that are you know people kind of get things kind of get in vogue and people want to do they see stuff on social media and I see stuff all the time, like, especially up here in North, because we're in a cold weather state. Guys are spending a lot of time on, on on the treadmill, which the manual treadmill that they can control working on top end speed. And I'll talk about later why I, I don't like that. But kind of one of some things that you want to kind of brush on and kind of touch on before we get rolling.
1: No, definitely. I mean, I think speed and athleticism, we talk about it all the time, is such a big part of this game of baseball. And it's not necessarily we talk about we know we run the 60, but we need to be fast within the first couple of steps. And I think that kind of gets overlooked because we do when they come to a showcase or a tryout, the first thing we're going to do is they're going to run a 60 yard dash and it just doesn't tell the whole story. Some kids are sprinters. They don't have the top speed and then some have the top speed, but they can't steal bases during the game because they don't have that explosive speed. So going off that, Sean, what is something you like to do with your, your athletes? You just mentioned you did a baseline test. So now kind of what is the plan that you're going to build together and put together for these
0: guys to continue to work on for the next two months. How do you go about that process? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in, in grad school and undergrad, obviously with, you know, the exercise science and, and the sports management, you know, degrees and the focus that I, I had at South um, they would drill this into you constantly. And you're probably gonna know exactly what I'm going to say. They would say the only two ways to increase speed is stride length and stride frequency. And they would, they would talk about that all the time, which is obviously true. Research has backed it up a lot. Um, but the big thing is how do we do, do that? How do we increase those two things? But also um, another thing, like well, for us, like we are trying to train speed in three ways essentially. And a lot of people don't like hearing this, but like the foundation of all athletic qualities is strength. There has to be some base level of strength, specifically relative strength, um, which is you know your strength and relative to your body weight. Um, you know, pull-up ability and so forth, which this is a fun fact. I'll kind of touch on this, that, you know, you increase your pull-ups and you get stronger at pull-ups, you actually will increase your sprint speed. That is something that a lot of people uh, uh, don't know. Um, But, and that's a lot of research I looked into and I started testing it with guys. And a lot of it's about fast twitch, you know, muscle fibers and so forth. And when I was a strength coach at Westfield High School, which is a small school outside, well, not really small anymore, but it's outside of Indianapolis um, where Grand Park is, we would do pull-up testing all the time, and everything. Every time we do those tests, we would see the guys that did a lot more pull-ups would be the highest at their pro agility, highest at the 40-yard dash, 60-yard dash, all that stuff. But to kind of to kind of encompass and, and encapsulate what we do is we change for we train for change of direction. So we want them to be able to cut, be explosive. You know, we want to get as many Barry Sanders on the field as possible. Um, we also train acceleration, which is something I don't I, I think that is not trained enough. Um, and then we also train for lower body strength and power exercises, which is a lot of strength sled work. And, uh, you know, we do some plyometrics as well, which would be power exercise for lower body. But I'm going to touch on a little bit on acceleration. So a lot of people will train for max end speed. And I was talking earlier about guys up here in north, they'll try to train on the treadmill and increase their top end speed. So their theory on increasing top end speed is if you increase your max output, your max output, which is your ability to spread at the highest speed, your operational output is going to increase, which is true. So operational output would be like a football player running in pads on the field. Obviously he would be faster without his, 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 pads on and everything. If he was just in a, you know, t-shirt and shorts, um, that is true. However, a lot of guys, um, don't understand that in sports specifically in baseball and what we train most guys a lot, a lot of is everything is, is spit on, acceleration we've got to get to top speed we've got to get to and accelerate fast and if you think about it most sports excluding football when you guys get a breakaway a running backs running for a touchdown you know a, a kick return so forth you're you're spent in more time and change of direction and acceleration than you are in top end speed so for me my goal when we get guys is let's let's try to make sure that we are training them to accelerate as fast as possible um, so we do a ton of 10 yard dash dashes we do 10-yard dashes when they're in a good, comfortable, a good start, like a 40-yard dash start, or we maybe we'll do a 60-yard dash start with a lot of um, baseball players. We'll do it lying down. We'll do an opening to the right. We'll do an opening to the left. We'll do it with mountain climber positions. We'll do it with split stance squat positions, split jump positions. We're trying to create lateral broad jumps. We're trying to create the most chaotic environment possible to try to you know, implement and, and, and recreate the game, the game is, is chaotic, right? We might, might get open up to, to try to catch a fly ball, get a bad jump. And then we have to clean up our footwork real quick or learning to open up our hips and get our hips moving in the right direction. As you know, like if your hips aren't opening up, you ain't going to make a good route to a ball. And so my big thing is how, how can we increase everybody's acceleration? How can we help them with change of direction? And a lot of that starts, starts with the hip hinge too. Um, and a lot of guys, like if you watch DBs in football, you know, that's a natural hip hinge position in the start. You watch guys playing basketball, a natural hip hinge position. But there's a lot of guys at young ages, when I say young ages, anywhere between eight years old all the way up to 15, 16 years old. They are very quad dominant in their movements. They get too much on their toes. They're not balanced. And so we, we really work on hip hinge with a double leg, but also in a single leg. You know, and as you know, like single leg hip hinges is a whole nother ball game. And we're spent on one foot or transferring force from one foot to the other a lot. So being able to make sure you're using your posterior chain and, you know, using your glutes, using your hamstrings is such a vital part of that process of speed. Um, so we throw in a lot of, a lot of strength exercises, a lot of training exercises in there, but we also focus on those two things as well, but kind of what do you guys do, Adam? I know obviously with you being an explosive and fast guy, there's a lot of things that you really fell in love with growing up and, and, and kind of implemented with your guys kind of, how do you guys do it at Heisler heat? Yeah. So a big part is we like to really live on the hills. I love
1: the uphill sprints. Uh, We do those constantly, try to get them three days a weekend and it's all working, exploding up. So as fast as you can get up the hill and then walk your way down, take your time and your rest in between and then exploding on up. So I think a lot of people getting confused when they're doing the hill sprints of they sprint up and then jog back, sprint up, jog back. And what we're not trying to train is We're not trying to kind of get you – we're getting you in shape, but we're not working this as a cardio exercise. We're working it as an explosive exercise. So you need to take that proper time in between of each set, however long it takes you to get up that hill to reset the batteries whenever you're getting ready to go again. Uh, We do a lot of the same sprint starts that you were just talking about. We had some last night. We had a kid, a little – probably a body length in front of the other ones. They both start on the ground. When the first guy gets up, the second guy tries to chase him to go get him just to work on that acceleration up off the ground as fast as possible. Uh, Adding in the single leg stuff, I think single leg stuff is something that doesn't get used enough. Obviously, we talk about it, but just for those that aren't listening that we talk about whether it's in the high school program and say you're just squatting two to three times a week. Add in the single leg lunges, reverse lunges, step ups, anything like that. And you're really going to learn how to build power in each one of your legs. And I think it's going to help keep you kind of healthy from that standpoint of where one's not dominant over the other one. you got to get them both strong. And with a guy that I dealt with a lot of hamstring injuries when I was playing, I don't think I did that kind of stuff enough, as well as working the posterior chain. Yep. I think there was some reasons I didn't do that was number one. I don't think it was as popular as it was back then. But also, number two, I'm going to take accountability myself is those things sucked. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) And I hated them because, I mean, it was always, oh, my gosh, these are killing my lower back or these are killing my hamstrings. Well, really what it was telling me is my core is not strong enough and my posterior chain isn't strong enough, so I've got to strengthen those. And it wasn't until I went to a physical therapist here in town that basically told me that and said, if you want to keep dealing with these injuries, you're going to keep dealing with these unless you make some changes to your workouts, to your regimen, to your stretching routine, your mobility, and finally I bought into it, and luckily – uh when i was playing professionally i didn't have any hamstring injuries come up when i dealt with them all throughout college. But it's just diving in, doing more research, and we talk about it all the time is being with somebody that you trust. And just because I was a fast guy doesn't mean I know the most about sprinting. It just means, Mm -hmm. yes, I did some things. I had some ability, natural ability, and then I kind of tapped into some others because I've mentioned before on the podcast, when I was 12 through 15, I was always an average to above average runner. I was never the fastest kid on my team. And it wasn't until I found the weight room and physically matured a little bit more to continue to get faster and like I've told before was the fastest I ever was was my senior year of college when I was weighing the most I ever was too so now you got that misconception of putting on too much weight cuz you're going to actually slow down or you look at you watch Sunday football every day and these guys are 220 pounds and they run four threes for a reason. They're explosive athletes. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff, the single leg, the different sprint starts, the uphill sprints, uh, banded resistance sprints, have somebody pulling on you while you're working that good angle of your hip hinge and leaning into it, body lean Uh, first step, quickness of practice running the bases. I don't think that's another thing that a lot of guys won't use enough is when you're running those bases, use it to create better angles. One guy I like to always point to Derek Jeter. I don't think he was the fastest by any means, but he was a really, really good base runner because he made the cuts, the right angles. He mm-hmm. had good body lean and body control when he hit the bases to get on to the next one. So we talk about it. Yes, the 60-yard title, unfortunately, we, don't, we both agree isn't really a big part of baseball. But it's one of those things that you're going to have to do, so you might as well try to train to get really good at it just to simply have that number on your resume. Because if there's a difference between a 6'8 a runner and then a 7'6 runner, I promise you the guys are going to lean more towards that 6'8 guy just because he's got explosive athleticism skills in there. Not necessarily as a better base runner, but he's going to have that explosiveness that maybe they can try to teach him how to do better things on the base path. So those are kind of a couple of the things that we'll add into the routine just to try to really harp on – speed and athleticism, uh, box jumps, vertical jumps, broad jumps, like you mentioned anything where you're working that powerful hip pinch position, just like we talk about a it, hitting is it's the most powerful position your body can get into. So you need to get trained
0: into that position. That way you're taking that over and putting it onto the field from that standpoint. Yep. And that's, it's that's a, it's funny. You mentioned the hamstring injuries and that those happen a lot when I was younger in high school, I used to get hamstring injuries all the time. And just for those that are listening, like, um, I would do leg curls only for my hamstrings in high school. And it was just like, it was back in the day, like, I, well, let's see here. It was 2001 to 2005. So leg curls was kind of what was taught. And it wasn't until I started learning more of the science and, and, and learning how to train in college, like, you know, training the hamstring at the hip joint as well. And learning how to do RDLs, learning how to do stiff leg deadlifts. And once I started doing those to this day, knock on wood, I still have not had a hamstring issue. Um, and, and learning to train the hamstring at that, at that hip joint too. Um, and as opposed to just the knee joint and doing leg curls. And for me, that was a game changer. It also helped with my speed and everything. But one thing that that's it, funny is, you know, we talk about the weight room and the importance of the weight room. And for those that are listening, like, yes, you do need a, to run to get faster. You have to sprint to get faster. You have to get better. Um, at sprint, you have to get better at change of direction. So you can get, you'll get faster that way. That's you know the best way in a lot of ways. But also another best way, I would still say this is secondary in a lot of ways. Unless you're a young athlete, this would be more primary. Is the weight room and, and getting faster weight room. We've had guys that will increase twenty pounds of lean mass and their sixty yard dash or forty yard dash mm-hmm. or ten yard dash is faster just by getting stronger in the weight room. Which again goes back to my you know the strength is a foundation of all athletic qualities. Uh, but what's funny. Is I remember this is something I started changing in my training. I remember when I was being taught how to program in uh, strength and conditioning in grad school. And they were like, hey, you got your primary exercise, you know, you do your bilateral squat, your box squat or deadlift, or whatever. And then you do your one single leg, then you train your posterior chain, you get some abs in, and then boom, you're done, right? The problem that, that I ran into is most guys, and this this goes into not the dog on football coaches. We talked about this before, but you know everybody thinks it needs to be squat bench clean, squat bench clean, squat bench clean, and it is. I once I started doing unilateral training and doing two exercises for unilateral training. For instance, once I started doing, let's say after our main exercise of a box squat, say. We started doing Bulgarian split squats and then finished with some some sled walks or, you know, heavy, heavy sled drags or uh, backward sled drags. Once I started having them train two different exercises after the main exercise, um, two assistance exercises, if you will, um, with unilateral work, it was a game changer. And and what I started doing is I started trying to get a little bit more chaotic with things as well um we meaning we do a barbell we'll do a dumbbell we'll do a goblet we'll do a single arm overhead goblet or sorry single arm overhead with a kettlebell split squat to kind of create this chaotic and you have to use your core environment um and once we started doing that that was a real game changer increasing speed in guys but also not only that but making it more athletic making it more mobile because that's another thing that's completely looked over is the mobility like you can't increase power increase sprint speed if you physically can't get into a certain position. Um, and that's, that's something that we'll throw in. We have a 15 minute pre warm up that we do that just, you know, we had two guys, we had one guy showed up to speed camp last week, you know, and, you know, I'm not to dog on him, but he, he threw up five times mm-hmm. just after the warm up. Mm-hmm. And so he was not physically ready. He was not mentally or physically prepared for what he was about to do. But not to say that you're supposed to kill guys in the warm up, but, you know, you want to activate the CNS, get the blood pump and get the body warmed up. Um, and so for those that are listening and parents are listening that want to sign kids up for speed camps and everything, Hey, that's great and all, but make sure your kid is willing to do the work on his own too, because just showing up for a two month speed camp or working on speed every now and then it's not going to cut it. And just like you were just saying, like, you know, you have to be sub seven if you want to compete at the division one level. And, and, and a lot of guys, if you want to be, you know, especially up the, up the middle, you got to be, you know, six, seven better up the middle, like, you know, second base shortstop and specifically mainly center fielder as well. Um, you know, I, I was the slowest guy in the outfield at South Alabama and my best 60 was 6'7". I probably was chilling at 6'8", most of the time, yeah. but I was the slowest damn guy on the field, on, on the outfield, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, and, and, and I was fast. I was explosive. I was athletic. I was also a bigger guy, so I understood that. But I was it was it preventing me from trying to train to get faster? Hell no, I was still trying to get faster. But for those that are listening, you got to be aware of the athletes are at that next level. Um, but I kind of wanted to touch on that because after you said that hamstring, it really clicked in my head and just it just shows the importance, like you said, of finding a strength coach that's smart, that's very intelligent, but also that you can trust. It's going to say, hey, you know, our job, first and foremost, is to keep you healthy. Um, but that's a, that's a really good point of hamstring injuries, because there's a lot of guys still to this day that get those injuries all the time.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned playing outfield at South Alabama. We had Coach Calvi on here. The outfield at South Alabama is 330 down the lines, 400 dead center. It's a major league size field. So he needed we needed guys that could run. So that's Mm -hmm. why four of our outfielders were sub six, seven or under. And so if you're thinking you're trying to play outfield at the college level, that's what you're going to have to go against and compete against. And these kids these days, uh, Michael Sandel for their, he's their center fielder this year, just ran a six, three, five at their pro scout day two weeks ago. And I mean, I would have never even thought about doing anything like that. And now you're seeing that pop up these days, but it comes from these, Specialized training. And I mean, just like in anything in life, people are starting, we're learning more, and we're able to put that into works like you're doing with your athletes there in Indiana. One thing I want to hit on, Sean, is I see it a lot, and I think it kind of sells parents, but I almost kind of see it as like a gimmick from a standpoint of how to properly use the, uh, the speed ladder. I see a lot of I think, people that are thinking that they're using the speed ladder and they're using these cones and they're doing all these agilities and they're getting faster because of it. Can you really dive in deep on how that is kind of just to the eyes? It's just trying to appease you, making them look like they're tired, but maybe really not translating to power that they're producing to run that fast 60 yard dash down.
0: Absolutely. So let's start with uh, the speed ladder is not making you faster, period. It's not making you more explosive, period. It's not helping you change direction, period. The speed ladder is good for warm-up. It's good to help with footwork, teach coordination, You know, kind of get some, some ability in the feet. But I'm going to give you an example. I boxed growing up. I played baseball, played basketball. I played five sports total growing up. I was a, I was a, a very good track runner. I was winning a lot of track meets You know, growing up. It's fast, athletic. I could jump jump rope like a fiend, still can jump rope really well. I boxed, had good footwork. I could have been better, obviously. I'm not saying I was the super the man. When I first started doing ladders, this is after doing all that stuff, I was really slow and kind of choppy, and my footwork wasn't very good. So, and I I struggled with them. And specifically, when I, because I I literally never did any ladders, I think until it might have been my freshman year of college. I think it was my freshman year of college when I actually first started doing ladders. So I was that, I had the ability to be quick and athletic in the boxing ring. Quick and athletic on the field. I stole um, you know, bases at Kokoma was a Kokomo High School baseball player, you know, broke records and stealing bases, not to just pat on my back. So shameless plug on myself there, right? <laughs> so I did all that and I sucked. I mean, I sucked at ladders. I was horrible at ladders. So that shows you the correlation right there. And I wasn't, I wasn't afraid. Like, of course I wanted to be better at ladders, but you'd see some people that were good at them, specifically the the, the football guys, and I didn't play football through high school but the football guys were better at them because they had done them before. Um, and so I see that stuff. And I also saw more athletic guys too. I mean, you remember Russell Harbin, um, mm-hmm. there was at South Alabama for a little while. He didn't really do ladders to very well, but the dude was one of those gifted athletes, you know, that was ever at South when we were there. And so, the big thing for me is when people see ladders, or they see, and again, I I will throw in that top end speed work on treadmills in Indiana. Like that's cool. You're running a straight line fast on a treadmill. You're building up the speed. Whatever. Like people see that stuff, and that's a you know four thousand dollar device. You don't need that shit to get mm-hmm. faster and more explosive. Like that's not how to get faster and more explosive. Um, your son would be better off uh, doing instead of doing ladders is working on some plyometrics, single leg plyometric hops into sprint work stuff that's more correlated to the field and name one sport okay like let's sit here and think about name one sport that you're going to make these short choppy steps inside of a square back and forth and this these are preordained like the 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 ladder's lined up so we know exactly where we're going there's no sport well you know exactly where the steps need to be how short and choppy they need to be it's it's not realistic it doesn't carry Mm -hmm. over um i like you know I am gonna be honest with you. I never do sliders because of that reason. Mm-hmm. I like doing cones instead to where you're sprinting lateral shuffle, sprint lateral shuffle, and, and kind of making things crazy, like figure eight work, um, clover leaf work with cones, um, where your feet, your foot works a little bit quicker. Um, that to me is where we're making it more realistic to the field. Cause that is to me, when I see that, it's just eyewash. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's disgusting to me watching guys like, Hey, we're getting faster explosive on, on, uh, on ladders. Like, no, you're not dude. Like you're, you're teaching these guys to make short choppy steps and get a little bit more coordinated foot, eye coordination, a little bit more. Basically to me, it's, it's rhythm inside of a bunch of squares is all it is. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, it reminds me of dancing is yeah.
0: you're going to correlate it to anything. That's what it, it correlates to is dancing. That's it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I a hundred percent. I agree with that. Like, and that's the thing is like I could spend, uh, you know, an hour doing footwork and athletic drills inside of a ladder I'm not going to get faster from that I might get a little bit more coordinated with that and and then to to go on to my story on my shameless plug earlier I I started doing those ladders and getting better at them I didn't get any faster on the field after I started getting yep. better at those. So there was no exactly. correlation. And that's the thing. Like everything right now is it's science, 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 science right now. You know, and the thing about science yeah. is like it'll show us like what you're not good at and what you need to improve. But the one thing about science and people say everything we're trained back by data, it doesn't really show us what we need to do to get better at it. Right. It's just showing yeah. us what, what, what works and what doesn't work a lot of times. You know, or What or sorry, what you need to need to do better, what you need to improve. But that, to me, is a perfect example of we do ladders or I've done ladders with guys um, a long, long, long time ago just for footwork back in, uh, when I was working at Westfield because the football coach liked him. Mm-hmm. And I had the same conversations with him like, dude, like this isn't making your guys faster. It's good for warm up. So the, the kind of us, our agreement was, hey, OK, we'll do the ladders for warm up, kind of get their blood flowing, get their ankles, get their mobile mobility, stuff like that. Then we'll get into the real speed from there. So that was a great question right there, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just see it all the time on social media popping up where, hey, our boys are working. We're out here getting on the ladder. And then I'm thinking to myself, and you brought up a great point of when is it ever going to be in a straight line correlation? You know exactly what's going to happen every time. No, there's nothing like that. So I was glad that you are able to hit on that. One more thing, Sean, I want to hit on is when would you request? So I know some guys, and I think even one of my last years playing, I had a guy write a program for me, and he would have me sprint before I did my big workout. So literally I would show up, get through my old mobility and everything from that standpoint, do my sprints in that day and or my explosive movements, if it's box jumps or if it's the sprints, and then jump into the heavy squats or the heavy single leg, and then finish off with the accessories from there. What would you kind of recommend if you're trying to have a sprint program going, but
0: also have a workout program going at the same time? So this in the street conditioning community is something that guys will talk trash about toward each other all the time. And so the way the way you're taught in 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 school and education and books by coaches is you want to do your explosive movements first because you want to be mm-hmm. fresh for your explosive movements, which I agree with 100 percent. And then you do your heavy movements and that stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's a football, a and conditioning coach for the Carolina Panthers, Joe Ken. I'm not sure if he's still there. And he may he asked this question one time. I heard him ask this and he goes you're still supposed to be explosive in the fourth quarter, right? He goes, mm-hmm. you're fatigued in the fourth quarter. So why would you not train to be explosive or train fast in the f- you know when you're tired? And that when I heard him say that, it was like a light bulb went off. I'm like, oh my God. Now, so let's, let's, let's break this down a little bit. So do I want to train in an alactic state? Do I want to train fatigue? And, and, and what I mean by that for people that are listening is like Kit, our coach at college, you know, you know love him to death, right? He would do conditioning and we would just be, you know, wanting to throw up huffing and puffing and in, in his eyes. And this is a lot of old school coaches eyes. That was speed training. Um, you know, conditioning has its place with people. But if you want to train to get more explosive, you need to be in a lactic environment. You can't have that lactic acid bill. It can't be a fatigue. So saying that and to answer your question, if I'm going to organize a street conditioning program, I am going to do our max effort acceleration speed when we're not fatigued. So if I want to work on, if, 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 you know, Adam Heisler shows up, Adam Heisler's run a 6'560 is like, dude, I want to run a six 60. We're going to train that guy to be explosive and not, and not fatigued. So we're going to work on his 10 yard dashes. We're going to work on all that stuff where he's, where he's fresh. And that's the big thing people need to pay attention to is fresh, plenty of rest. So, and I mentioned this before, this was a long time ago when we first started the podcast is, you know, if you're doing your sprint work, make sure you're getting adequate rest periods. So like if we're working on a 60 yard dash, you're slowly walking back to the start line and it might take you two, three full minutes to kind of get completely rested until you start that next sprint. Cause that's one thing that people realize is if you're fatigued, if you're tired, you're teaching your body to train and be slow. You mm-hmm. can't train explosively from there. So if I'm running a street ignition program, like we lift three times a week at Laird's training. So we'll do a heavy, lower heavy upper and a total body explosive strong man day. Um, we also will throw in speed work. So we'll do a lot of speed work and we essentially will do plyos and a little bit of sprint work at the beginning of every single lift. So we'll do that at every single lift. We'll do some plyo jumps as well. Um, but we also will train at the end. So if I'm doing, uh, say if you're like, Hey, I want to train for acceleration and speed work, we're going to do that the day before, or like you said, before your lift, So if, if say, if you had, if you lifted on Monday, I would do that sprint and explosive work on Sunday, your, uh, your acceleration train on Sunday, if you're stuck and you can't do that, I would do that earlier in the day, optimally on Monday, and then do your leg lift later in the day. And that's one thing is like, there's no perfect way to do it, but the way that I used to do it, if you're doing a four day plan is we would do our sprint work on upper body days. And then we would do our, our, um, uh, more ab and conditioning type stuff on lower body days. What I mean by conditioning is not necessarily running, more more sled work from there. Um, but we want to try to do that training. If you're in a four day split, do your sprint work either on. If you're doing like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday lifting, do your speed work on. You know, if you're lifting upper body on Monday, do it on Monday and Thursday or Monday and Wednesday where you're fresher and then you can do your uh, your your lifting and focus just on your legs on the other days. For us, I like doing a little bit of it every single day at the beginning, and then I like doing it at the end. So like I was saying before, so we do the stuff in the beginning. At the very end, we will do usually sled finishers twice a week. So sometimes we'll do explosive sprints at the end of a workout. Sometimes we're doing heavy sled pushes, just working on power control and working on teaching these guys – Proper acceleration, positive shin angle, working on the knee drive forward and the bottom half coming forward. Um, but I want them to train when they're tired, try to train to be fast. And we still give them adequate rest period when they're tired. So, so when I say that is, say we do a whole entire workout, and legs are a little tired. We might have two minutes of, of rest, a little bit of stretching before we get everybody together and we do this sled sprint complex at the end. And from what I've seen and what actually, you know, what I've known doing this all these years we just had Tommy Summer, uh, I use Friday night pitcher, um, increase his velocity and maintain, his, and being able to maintain his velocity later in the game when he was playing summer ball this past year just by implementing those, those exercise, those explosive uh, sled sprints or explosive sled um, drags at the very end of the workout. And it was what he noticed is in that fifth, sixth, seventh inning, he wasn't getting tired in his legs anymore. Um, so, and that's also it's also a mental part of the game too. Like you're training to be explosive, you're you're still trying to be explosive when you're tired. That's a big deal. Whereas if I just had Tommy and these other guys just train to be explosive at the beginning of the uh, of the workout, and then they just killed their legs and everything, and they left. I know that they wouldn't be able to continue that that anaerobic output, that explosive pitch after pitch later in the game. So that's one thing that I really learned. That's a, I mean that's a really good question. I could literally talk about that as you can tell for like an hour. Uh, about how to handle it, but what best best way I can explain to it is: if you're trying to get faster, do it when you're not fatigued. Train when you're not fatigued. Train it when you're when you're not after your leg your leg lift. And when I say you know um, train train to be fatigued, don't do that all the time because obviously if you're doing that nonstop, you will get slower. Um, if, and if, as a strength coach and as a guy that's watching, if you see your guys sprinting and doing stuff and you see them going like slow, just nip that, nip it the mm-hmm. right there. Like you don't need to be having them train to be slow. Um, and there's a lot of ways to do it. You can still do kettlebell, um, swings, single arm kettlebell swings, uh, to still try to train that hip hinge, that triple extension to be explosive faster there too. Um, that's kind of a long winded answer, but I, that's, that's, so it's really good for it, uh, a really good question for people here. Cause a lot of people will do conditioning and they'll do stuff after their leg, leg days, or even after upper body days, when their legs are still sore from the day before. And the coach is like, yeah, we're getting speed work. in." nah, not really, man. You're just, you're just training to be slow right now.
1: Yeah, and I remember, I think I was watching a spring training game. This was 10 years ago, and Roy Holiday, when he was one of the best pitchers in the game, had talked about during spring training when he throws his bullpens, he does them after heavy leg days, like literally 30 minutes to an hour later because he wants to feel like he is in the seventh inning trying to get through that bullpen there. So that was a cool point. of. I'm sure he didn't do that all the time, but he would add that into his routine to help him link to himself and know how to work when he is tired. So he did a great job breaking that down and answering that. So another question I want to ask, too, is, all right, so say – Sean Laird's a division one baseball coach. Can you number one, express how important it is that you and the strength coach are on the same page. And then also how, if you're doing conditioning, are you letting your strength coach handle that in the weight room on his own? Or are you doing the, Hey, after practice is over, we're going to hang around. We're going to run poles. We're going to do laps. We're going to do base running. What would you kind of, you do if you were running it your way?
0: Absolutely. So, and, you and I both know our experience. Um, not gonna, you know, shame anybody or anything like that. But I would be putting the strength coach in charge of all that work. I, as a baseball coach, we're spoke we're focused on sports specificity. So I want my guys to uh, the pitchers to work on their bullpens, work on their pitches, you know, PFP work. The outfielders, I mean, we ran all the time as outfielders already, you know, and and fielding fly balls, whatever. And then it was when it was in infield defense work and rundowns, guess who was running? We were running, right? So we're getting all that specific work as outfielders. I don't see a need as as baseball coaches to run the hell out of your guys at the end of practice. It it doesn't make any sense to me. Now, if you're working on base running, you're working on turns, you're working on decelerating after you touch first base. Yeah, that's a part of the game. I don't have a problem with that. But it shouldn't be a daily thing. Like you shouldn't be beating the hell out of your guys as a baseball coach, um, specifically at the Division One level. So if I'm if I'm a baseball coach at the Division One level, I'm focused on what I can control in between the lines. I'm not focused on the strength and conditioning. I'm not focused on the speed and development. Uh, for example, we did a we did some hill sprints back at South, and our coaches were running this. And I don't know if you remember this. This was our senior year. And we started doing these hill sprints, and I'm like, all right, I'm a bust ass. I'm gonna kick ass and take names with this. So I was sprinting as hard as I could for 10 10 hill sprints. This was right when we came back from summer. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, let's let's kick ass and take names. And I was doing really well. I was, I was, I was right behind uh, our buddy Clint a lot of times. Um, and my long legs on the hills, I, I, I could beat him sometimes on the acceleration. So I was really pumped. And obviously, for those of listen, Clint was like a, a 6'5 runner at South. And then all of a sudden, they're like hey go run and touch uh around the stadium go run and touch the uh uh clubhouse i'm like what the f- what like what are you talking about and so we did that like five times And they're like back on the hills and so i gave everything i could into those those hill sprints and i was it was in pretty good shape i mean we trained that summer a lot together the sledgehammer yeah. swings and, and stuff so i was in really good shape there and i'm dog ass tired like i look like a 500 pound dude eating Twinkies. Like I was, I was so tired. And so at the end of it, coach is like, I'm not going to say who it was. Um, it's like, man, you guys are out of shape. You're sitting there dog. And he was looking right at me. And I'm like, dude, I will knock you out if you think you're talking about me. But I, and, and all, and all jokes aside, like I looked like absolute trash. Cause I gave everything I got, but that's a perfect example of like, conditioning, I, I understand high school guys specifically when high school skies in Indiana and in January, they'll, they'll do conditioning kind of weed out the weak minded guys, the guys that don't yeah. want to put in the work. I understand that com- completely. Conditioning has its place. If you're going to condition, you need to communicate with your guys that this is a conditioning day, we're going to beat the hell out of you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if those if you have, a, if you're a baseball coach, and you want to do that, you need to let your strength coach know. So he's not that later that night like, hey, all right, we got three rep max on box squats tonight. So I know you guys just ran 15 miles. <laughs> uh, with a bunch of Marines. So we're going to get after this. No, I, I, that's one thing we got to understand. And so like, as, as a baseball coach, a lot of guys will try to do everything all at once mm-hmm. and you can't do that. Just control between the lines, let the stream coach do it. Cause that's, there's, there's a lot of things that go involved with 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 speed work it's high, low programming, you know, guys are going to be tired a lot of times. Um, so the effort, you know, the speed work that you might do on a certain day, when the guy's legs are tired is going to be a little bit different. Um, so, I mean, that was a phenomenal question because there's a lot of co- baseball coaches are not on the same page with spring coaches and they have to be on the same page in order to maximize the development. Because at the end of the day, in college baseball, the goal should be obviously you want to win ball games 100 percent, but you should be trying to develop your young players into men, but also into better athletes, because if they're better athletes, it makes your program better, makes them better, helps them move on to the professional levels. And so you've got to be on the same page and coaches should not, I I don't pretend to be a lawyer. I don't pretend to be a basketball coach. I don't believe that baseball coaches, if they don't have the knowledge base should be pretend to be speed coaches. That's just Mm -hmm. my two cents in that whole thing.
1: No, you did a great job of breaking that down. I think, and you hit the nail on the head when you talked about, you spent all your energy on those hill sprints thinking that's why you had, and then you had nothing left in the tank. Mm -hmm. Whereas almost so I go back to my high school practices. If we knew we were going to have condition at the end of the practice, I can honestly say myself as well as our teammates, Towards the end of practice, we weren't trying as hard to run down those fly balls when we're doing outfield work because we know we have to save our legs to go through the conditioning phase, whether it's triangles or sprint poles or Indian run, whatever it is going on from that standpoint. So it kind of defeats the whole purpose because everybody's so worried about that damn conditioning test coming up that (laughs) they don't go full speed to get to it because they're trying to save themselves. So I think you saying that if you know you have a conditioning going into it, you need to let the whole team know and you need to let the strength coach know. And you better not expect much going on at practice because – this is what your focus is that day. And so, and I think communication, like we've always talked about on here before is just the biggest key to everything in life. Just like it is from this standpoint, the strength and conditioning coach is a strength and conditioning coach for a reason. Let him handle that stuff there. And you focus on the baseball aspects of things and y'all work together as opposed to, Pulling each other apart. Hey, why aren't my guys getting bigger, faster, stronger? Well, hey, you're kicking their ass at practice. That's why they're not getting bigger, faster, stronger in the weight room because you're having four-hour practices. Mm -hmm. And one props to Calvi when he first came in. The thing he cut in half was they practiced for an hour and a half, two hours, but it's full speed. There's never wasted time. Outfielders, you're getting your conditioning work in, tracking fly balls down. You're getting your work in when you're doing base running during BP, like right? that they don't have to do that extra stuff after practice because they're getting that stuff in during the, during the full practice. So I think people are starting to become more aware of that. And I think Mercer does a great job when he broke down how they kind of run things there. And he said – Heart and soul, he has the strength conditioning kind of background as a hitter's background where he's gonna be in control and kind of give some tidbits here and there. But I think ultimately when it comes down to how we're gonna condition these guys, he's gonna let that strength staff handle that aspect going forward just to make sure he gets the most out of the performance standpoint on the field.
0: Absolutely, man. And and for those that are listening, like I'm not dogging on coaches or my former coaches, like they all meant well. Like they when they implement that stuff, they think that they're helping you. Like every and I I would believe that 99% of coaches are trying to help their guys. Um, and, but I will say this is like, especially right now, coaches are like, dude, you're like 20 pounds or 30 pounds underweight, man. You need to get, you need to gain that weight. And they proceed to run their guys for four miles. Um, like that's not going to help, Uh, you know, you put them in a catabolic state really quickly. Um, but man, I just, you, that was a really, I I didn't even think about asking that question. That was really good to ask that uh, because there's a lot of people that need to hear that stuff. Um, and that aspect of things, but. One thing I kind of, um, and this has been a great episode for so far before we kind of close out, Adam, what's your advice to parents that want to come in to do some speed training at Heisler heat, or if they were trying to go to LT or just trying to go get speed training somewhere, they don't really know anything about it. They don't, they just, they just think, Hey, I need to get faster. So they don't, they don't pay attention to the strength world. They just like, Hey, I need to find this guy that does speed and agility and I need to do everything private. He's do one-on-one training, all this stuff. What's your advice to those parents that are, are kind of out of the loop when it comes to the street conditioning world and speed of Julie world? Like, what would you tell them? What conversation would you have with them?
1: I think, first off, you have to set the expectations and don't let them know right away. And I think people run into problems of, Hey, if you come train with me, I'm going to get your son five tenths off his 60-yard dash time, guaranteed within six weeks, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And that may sound great and grandy, but I promise you, you can't guarantee that because you don't know the work ethic that's going to go into it. You don't know anything about the kid. What's his nutrition like? What's his sleep like? All that other stuff that's accountable when you're trying to really knock off the tents to that standpoint. So number one, it would be you have to go somewhere that's going to do a baseline test. I love that you mentioned you did that is you're going to see where they're at. This is their... Right now, this is what they are. This is what they're blessed with. This is what they are before they even ever attack strength and conditioning. So now you get a true baseline test of where are we going to make these improvements? So you can go back to the parent within five weeks or six weeks and say, this is where they improve now how did they get there this is the map of how we're going to go to get there it's going to be a full breakdown of your speed your mobility your strength days and it goes back to the communications of having all this set up and with you being as organized as you are i know you have all this printed out your documents you have your google sheets and you're ready to go it's not one of these come do a baseline test and then i'm just going to you'll show up and once you get here I'll just come up with a workout on the top of my head for 15 minutes because we've been <laughs> at places like that where you'll show up and you're like, hey, what are we doing today? Uh, hold on. Let me head back to the whiteboard. And he just writes down five exercises and all right, get after it. And I think a lot of times parents get kind of blindsided by our, the wash stuff, which you mentioned with the ladders of, man, my son looks really tired. He must be getting better. Well, just because you're getting really tired doesn't mean you're getting better at all. You might not even be getting faster. You could actually be hurting yourself more than help yourself. So, our goal isn't just when they leave. Yeah, we want them to be tired, breaking a sweat, and they had a good workout. But it's not like I'm trying to run these guys into the ground so their parents know that you're paying for drill sergeant training because that's not what we're doing. Uh-huh. We're in the process of, I love that you hit on earlier, is if you're not feeling it that day and you're running your sprints, just kill it right there and go do something else because you're not going to get any benefits out of that. You may injure yourself but you're definitely not training your fast twitch fibers. You're actually slower than when you really are. So you need to go on those full days when you're fully recovered, ready to go. So I think more than anything is just go back to doing your research, have somebody in mind, talk to people, ask them what their plan is. I think one thing a lot of parents won't do is just sit down with us and have a conversation of like, what is the plan? And how are you going to help get my son to that position from your standpoint? Not saying it's on us to actually get him there, we're going to do our best to get them there, but they have mm-hmm. to put in the work from that standpoint. So I think more than anything is just the communication, the key, the is my son putting in the extra effort. Is he showing up on time? Is he showing up to do the prehab movements or is he just show up to do the workouts? Cause I think uh, we've noticed sometimes is some guys will skip that 15 minute warm up because like you mentioned before, it gets you going, it gets your yep. blood pumping and is getting you in shape as well as getting you warm, ready to attack that killer workout man, that thing sucks. I don't want to show up for that. I'm just going to show up when we just start doing squats. You're not getting the whole benefit out of this program here. And the last thing that we're going to put on is there's a price on this for a reason. It's because mm-hmm. Sean believes in what he's doing. To He believes he's the best at what he's doing. So he's going to put a price on it. You can like it or you cannot like it. But I promise you, when you make that investment into it, you're going to see some really good results out of it as long as your kid's showing up and being accountable. And I know if you're training at LT, you're going to be held accountable. There's not going to be any choice or either you're going to get out of the program because he's not going to keep you around. So I think more than anything is you make this investment. You understand you've done your research. Now it's trust Sean or trust myself that this is what we're going to do to help get your son faster.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely, and you hit the nail on the head there, man. Of, of trusting the process and understanding because it's not fast. Like you're not going to turn into Mike Trout you know, like in five lessons. Just like you're not going to become Usain Bolt after just doing one speed camp. It's something that's it's it's a long process. And I remember I've had a million conversations with dads about this. And I remember a couple conversations specifically is like, well, how does he get faster? And I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, he's doing what he needs to do to get faster, and he just needs to do it consistently. He needs to make sure that he's taking care of himself, his sleep, nutrition, all that stuff, because that plays into a factor and be able to put maximum effort into the next day. It's not going to happen overnight. It, it takes time. And I, one of my uh, LT guys, uh, Bray Nerve, he's one of the uh, All-State, All-American wrestlers and All-American football players. He's a big guy, wrestles a heavyweight, but he, the dude's fast. The dude's mm-hmm. explosive. Um, could he be better? Absolutely, yes. But it's that was something that he worked on constantly in order to do that um it's not something all of a sudden like eight weeks and then poof you're done just like when guys will do street the conditioning in the off season for baseball and then season starts and they just stop
1: it's mm-hmm.
0: like dude what are you doing like it's like building a house and then not putting a roof on like what are you doing like you got to take care of the house yep. but absolutely man good stuff right here was there anything else you want to jump in and add until we uh, before we close out no, nah, I think we covered a lot of good stuff today and it's,
1: it's good. We never got to do one about this kind of stuff. And it's such a big part of, we get questions about it. Players are questioning us. The parents are the coaches. So I think we did a really good job of breaking down just kind of how to attack this plan going forward for those who know, that don't know. And there's a lot of us that think there's a magical pill that if I take this, my son's going to run a six, five sixty. And I just love that you we were able to break down right there that it takes time. So mm-hmm. put in the work, but it takes time. Don't
0: expect the quick results right away. Absolutely. Absolutely, guys. Well, yeah, if you guys enjoyed this and you want us to dive into more depth about, you know, whether it's a 60 year dash for baseball players or exactly how we break down our speed, you know, just just holler at us and we'll break things down some more. That Any episode that you guys like, if you want us to dive deeper into, we will definitely do that and and kind of go from there. But if you guys like this episode, make sure you guys leave that five-star review. And until next time, we'll see you guys later.